Hello, this is Deb from Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. Today I'm talking to Laura Sandling Bennett, who is not shy when it comes to talking about the paranormal. She identifies as being psychically sensitive and empathic. Laura is a fan of felines, a talented artist, and an art teacher. When not creating or rocking her amazingly colorful hair, Laura is supporting content creators who explore the paranormal. I was watching you on a show recently, and I couldn't wait to find out more about your gifts. So thank you for coming today to talk to me today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Deb. I'm so glad to get to finally see face-to-face, even yes. though I know this will be over voice. Mm-hmm. Um, this is great, and I, I appreciate the opportunity. Yes, I'm excited because... It seems like you really have quite a broad interest in the um, paranormal and spiritual aspects of the paranormal. And I, and I feel like anyone who has done the research discovers that everything's somewhat connected. So could you please um, elaborate a little more for listeners about your background? Sure, sure. So uh, at a young age, my mother and I moved out to New Mexico um, and being raised in a fairly uh, feminine, matriarchal um, family by my mother, my grandmother, and my great-grandmother, um, there were things that seemed to come natural to us that we didn't actually just talk about openly outside of the home, um, whether it be, you know, my grandmother would go and realize she was out of bread. Next thing you know, I'm coming home with a loaf of bread. Mom's coming home with a loaf of bread. And so on. That type of, um, you know, telepathic communication going on. Or um, me saying, you know, hey, I saw something um, walking down the hallway. And this is what it looked like. And, you know, being able to talk to that kind of thing with my mother. Um, and not feeling stigmatized, at least in the home. You know, I, I grew up feeling comfortable around the paranormal, not afraid, but empowered. Now, out in public, of course, I'm sure you're well aware of how some people can be when you start talking about uh, that you see ghosts or can... Um, you know, you get images in your mind when you talk to certain people. I got a lot of bullying in my youth. Um, and so I kind of kept it to myself. Um, and I feel like that's why it's so important for people to come forward and talk about it now, which is one of the reasons I wanted you to come on here. Just tell your story. Let everyone hear it. Like everyone needs to hear these stories. They need to know what's going on. And I think, you know, a lot of people relate to them actually. Um, So even though there still remains this heavy sense of stigma, like if you ask the right questions, everyone has something going on. So absolutely. (laughs) Okay. I'll let you continue. You're you're fine. You're fine. I mean, the way I like to see it when I sit down, for whether it, you know, an interview with you or say on, you know, one of my other friends' podcasts, is this is a conversation between friends because that's the way it needs to be. 
there needs to be that sense of caring um, and openness. You shouldn't have to feel afraid to talk to somebody about these things, whether they believe in them or not. And that goes for the paranormal, cryptid, UFO. It doesn't matter in my book. And if I can help, even if it's just one other person, to, to not feel stigmatized, not feel afraid to talk about what maybe they've seen or they felt, um, I feel like it's all worthwhile. You know, so in my later years, I got into the understanding of different religions and different modalities, spiritual practices. Um, once I got into my 30s, I started to realize that, you know, the moniker of kitchen witch, which some people have heard is kind of a slang term uh, for someone who believes in witchcraft type powers and practices out of their home um, kind of fit. And so for the longest time, that was sort of how I identified. Um, and it was because, again, going back to that matriarchal roots, you know, I'd come home and I'd say my throat is sore. My grandmother would go into the kitchen and she's pulling out all kinds of herbs and whatnot. And next thing you know, she's handing me a cup and saying, drink this. It'll make you feel better. You know, and I have to I have to just pause on that for just a moment because I feel like so many cultures just sort of accept that as their reality. Like you use herbs to heal. In fact, modern mm -hmm. Western culture has actually been accepting it for some time, even though they won't put that label on it. Like you hear all the time right. people say, oh, drink some chamomile tea. It'll help you calm down. But back in the day... <laughs> Like if someone said that and they weren't, you know, religious, people were freaking out. Like, but on this, on the same. You're trying like to this, cast a spell on me. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And then at the, at the same time, it was just like, that's medicine to some cultures. Like that's just what it is. In fact, pharmaceuticals would love to expose more herbal medicines and have been oh, doing yeah. so for all this time. It's just just because it's in a little capsule, you know, mm -hmm. like, it, I mean, oh, it's so right. funny. It's so funny because yeah, it, it, ugh, the vitamin shelf at the grocery store is a great example. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. No kidding. No kidding. I mean, you look and there's for vitamins, there's an entire aisle for all the other types of medicine. You know, you've got two more aisles for everything else. But one entire row just for vitamins, and it, it all goes back to that that um, medieval culture and how the primary herbologists, um, uh, shamans, those that would give both physical aid and spiritual aid, were in the later Middle Ages labeled. And that label stuck. However, in the modern era, we've come into a time where that label now means a lot more. And so I have several practicing wishes 
that are very dear friends and each has their own version of the modality. And I myself have moved way beyond with all of my, I guess, lust for learning. I consider myself an omnis, which means basically I do not practice any one religion, but I find that there is so much value to be found in each and every one. You know, so while I may, you know, follow um, meditative practices of Tibetan monks um, using my mala and chanting the Om, um, I may also light a ritual candle to send prayers and what would be considered a spell of good wishes towards someone who is hoping for an easy birth or wishing for a loved one to recover quickly from an illness you know and, and so it's a broad spectrum of things that i have brought together for myself that just felt comfortable and made sense and, it and, and it's helped worth, me yeah it's worth saying yeah it helped me come to come to grips with having psychic ability mm -hmm. because up until the last few decades, having psychic ability was always directly related to supernatural according to the mainstream, you know, but it's not, it's science, it's brain chemistry. It's how our brain is wired, and we have yet to find the right mechanisms to properly study it. However, people like Dr. Stephen Greer, for instance, they are opening those doors to understanding the brain science, the pineal gland, how it actually functions and allows us to have literally that sixth sense. Yep, yeah. and um, of course, we all know that basal ganglia is getting a lot of attention lately. Oh, um, yes, they are. <laughs> and for, for people who are interested in looking up the science, the little trick that has been done is that people write the papers with the term intuition to prevent yeah. the stigma. So if you want to look for some of the papers on the scientific and neuro um, science related to this, I would use the word intuition. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, well, it same goes to the UFO field. Yeah. I'll be a UFO field, UFO girl, probably to the day I die, just because that's what I grew up with. I understand the UAP, the reason why government's doing what they're doing as far as that goes. But it does go back to how do we reduce that stigma? How do we make people feel more comfortable in their skin so that they can sit down like we are right now and just have a conversation about our world, our amazing, miraculous world? And what's exciting is that with the UAP topic, we can talk about the entire universe. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, it, we've really Absolutely. opened the door and other dimensions because people like to bring those up as well. So it's it's just a great, it's like a gateway to everything. Absolutely. You know, and it's become a very powerful, passionate topic for me. Um, the whole, you know, UFO situation, uh, Congress getting involved, all of that, because I grew up as the child of an experiencer. And while you do hear within our communities, UFO experiencers coming out, speaking about what they've seen, felt, heard, you don't hear a lot from how are the families of those people dealing with that on a daily basis? I happened to grow up in a bubble, so to speak, because we were more open about, you know, being psychic and understanding those gifts. And light bulbs started getting turned on for me of the connections between the two. Of was it a case that what my mother saw in her youth that it was attracted to her because of her ability or did her abilities attract it? And then of course, some people think the abilities arise after the experience, you know, it's, exactly. it's a really chicken or the egg conundrum. We don't know all it the is. time. Um, one thing I have, come to believe is that perception is a big part and i mean in a psychology sense perception is a big part of what people are observing and the people with greater perception um are able to see more right to people who are essentially paying attention and i i do think sometimes having that first experience makes people just pay more attention to things and they just kind of open themselves up. So even if they don't go um, as as far as having like deeper intuition or deeper psychic abilities, they're just paying more attention. They're more aware. Um, their perception has really increased. And I I have to say that I also think there's probably an evolutionary purpose to that. You know, so some people are really frightened by their encounters, and I think just paying attention is that heightened awareness is helping them to feel safer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's when I'm trying to help talk somebody through, you know, they, they've had their first paranormal experience. And you, you see the fear is palatable. And explaining to them that, you know, psychic ability is, your gut feeling that, you know, maybe I shouldn't go to work today because, you know, it doesn't feel right. And then you get a phone call saying, hey, the shop was broken into last night. Um, you You know, work from home today. And it's that gut feeling that we have been taught by society to smother, to ignore, push it down. Oh, 
you, you know, your mind was just overactive. You know, the child, oh, that, that, it's just an imaginary friend that they're talking to. Yeah. And my goal in speaking out is to bring that more to an open conversation. Right. And I think that is super important. In fact, I was even having the cynical thought today that even having all the debunkers that come to the community is important because at least they're continuing the conversation too. <laughs> you know, so having the conversation mm -hmm. at all is what matters really ultimately because it's it's the fear of sharing or fear of exploring that has really hindered us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, that some folks get really angry about debunkers. And I understand why, because there are those that come from a place where their decision has already been made. They've already decided in their mind that it is X, Y, or Z. And then they say, oh, well, and then they go backwards to this is, this is why I think that is. Instead of taking the information and working forward from that. Okay, this is what we see. Okay, well, what could cause that? And work forward from a place of open-mindedness. You know, you don't know the answer until you know the answer. Um, I'm a big fan of a couple of the paranormal shows. And um, there's one in particular that... Uh, I don't know how you feel about it if I bring bring up names of other shows or whatnot. So, yeah, if you need to talk about it, go ahead. I mean, I am um, careful about letting other people do their content, but go ahead. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so the um, the Taps Paranormal Team, you know, they started you know way back. I believe it was the nineties, and of course, it was like one of the only shows on that had anything to do with paranormal. So I jumped on and was watching it. And I liked the fact that they approached everything from a place of, well, let's find out what it isn't. And then we can figure out what it is. So um, there's, you know, people describing what their effects are happening in their home, what they're seeing, what they're feeling. Okay. Are they living in a house with a lot of exposed electrical? Is there naturally high EMF because of that? They can make you sick, nauseous. It can even cause headaches. It can cause um, some hallucinations in certain people. You know, eliminate that. Okay. Once you've eliminated that, well, what's left? Well, okay. Let's see what other explanations there could be and then go from there and i have to say though it is it has been important for us to do that exploration because we have discovered really important things about the human anatomy as a result like 100%. our brains really do respond to 
electromagnetic interference and exactly. people people have strong reactions to it in fact um they're exploiting that now they're using magnets over the brain to affect people's moods now uh which mm -hmm. sounds so much like what some non-human intelligence has been doing for the last several decades <laughs> yep absolutely um i can remember being I want to say like five or six years old and going into J.C. Penney's with my grandparents or my mom and they used to have all the electronics right at the front of the store and as soon as I would walk into the front of the store I would end up with an instantaneous migraine headache and so while we didn't know even the, the slang, you know, EMF, electromagnetic field, we associate it, okay, something's going on with all of these electronics that's giving her the headache. And so, one, we knew when we went to that store, we went through a different door. And, but two, it gave me a little peace of mind to say, I've got something that I can nail that to. You know, that's what's causing the headache. Now, as I've learned, people who do tend to have natural psychic abilities also tend to be highly sensitive to EMF, to electronics, um, and we're surrounded 24-7 now. It's not like in the 80s when I could just get out in the park and get away from it. And I've really been looking into things that have to do with wave function, like radio waves and um, EM waves and gamma rays and all how, how that impacts humans. And one of the things that really interests me is how certain music for different people, you know, really makes you get into a different state of mind. Like meditation is just much easier for me when I listen to a specific soundtrack with certain frequencies. Mm -hmm. Other ones I cannot listen to. I can't listen to people doing guided meditation. I have to listen to the specific soundtrack. Those those frequencies, that those wave functions, whatever we want to call them, just like get me in a very different place very quickly. And and it's you just know. we get impacted like and people feel it too. They can feel how certain songs like make them oh, vibrate. Yeah. Like Definitely. Uh, and that's why through all of human history, music has been such an important, powerful part of our spiritual practices as well. Um, whether it be, you know, drums from the shaman to chanting from, you know, the monks. Um, it We are bags of mostly water and we are highly and easily affected by those sound waves. Um, there's an account that I follow that does photographs of, I believe the way to say it is cymatics. So he will shine light on water and then play sound so that you actually see the shapes 
that are made on the water by that sound and how those wave functions are different. And it it's my latest rabbit hole. Have you seen the guy who does the same thing with like, I think it's like sand or beads sand. on a table? Yeah. Yes. Oh, really I love cool. that. Yeah, absolutely love that. I think that was actually like an, on a Nova or something like that. I saw that the first time. And I, I, I went and got my husband. It's like, you've got to see this. This is so cool. You know, and seeing how the different patterns emerge depending on the frequency big buzzword these days of that sound and sound is a frequency wave mm -hmm. you know our human brain if you hook it up to a machine that can read it you will actually see a sine wave for the brain waves and how it functions that electronic signal doesn't just stay inside our skull it continues that's how psychic abilities work is yep. we are more in tune with that wave function and you know thinking about like 432 megahertz that's a big one that you know people talk about for binaural beats um, and all of that kind of thing for meditation if you can bring your mental state and your brain function into the same sine wave as that music or perhaps that other person or that other being, communication becomes possible. Mm -hmm. And now... I may get proven totally wrong in a decade. Might may get proven wrong tomorrow. But in my mind, that's what makes sense in how psychic ability allows us to, as some folks like to say, see beyond the veil. To see what others don't see, hear, taste, know what others don't. And because our anatomy is all basically the same every human has the ability but just like the predisposition for playing piano might be higher in a particular family a certain person's predisposition to a certain psychic ability might be higher as well right i do sense? think you know, people already have very clear, discernible, um, deferring traits. Um, and Absolutely. it's easier for people to accept some of those or understand some of those than they can with intuition uh, or psychic ability. So an example would be that some people now are coming out um, very rare in the population, but but they're able to like see colors um, when they're, you know, tasting something, for instance, you know, they, their senses yes. are not wired the same as other people. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, there's a term for it. I can't remember it right now, but you know, it's like there's people who can hear uh, infrasound 
that we like yes. they can hear when an earthquake's going to happen. Um, there's people who hear pitches much higher than others, which is a good example of a family that might be good at doing like singing or piano. <laughs> yeah. Um, with my family and especially myself, the, the higher frequencies I tend to hear a lot. And now through working with a couple of mentors, I understand that on the psychic side of things, that's considered clear audience or clear hearing. And in my mind, it was like, no, that ain't clear. That's really high pitched and annoying. <laughs> but now that I've started to kind of understand what it is and ways to explore how it works, it's, it's opening up a, a whole other thought process of psychic ability. Um, because in, it, for myself, my primary abilities have always been um, what would be considered clairvoyance, um, clear seeing, or clear cognizance, which is clear knowing. So, like knowing without anybody telling you that, oh man, Joe's going to be late today. He's going to be 10 minutes late. Just watch. And sure enough, he's 10 minutes late. That kind of thing. I've been called the harbinger of doom <laughs> because like I'll tell people about bad things that are going to happen <laughs> and like they it, it gets to the point where they're like just don't say anything like they feel like it's my fault it's going to happen because I said something because <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I just yeah, get like to... the instinct oh yeah yeah absolutely you start to feel like am I jinxing things or is you know, am I just seeing something ahead of time? And it, I equate it to cons consider each of us like those firing neurons on a neural network of the human brain. So we're each one of those little bright lights. And we're racing around on that network. But if we can tune our frequency in to that network we connect to Jack and Jill and Jim and Jane and and what's going on in the world around us and just like you can see the ocean start to roil before the storm moves in we're able to pick up that information before the event occurs. Yeah. So one of the things that's happening now is that a lot of universities and DARPA, they're very interested in, and actually this has been going on for some time. They're interested in using our brainwaves to interface with AI in order mm -hmm. for uh, communication to happen between people. Um, or for us to move objects. So they've mm -hmm. created a lot of these headbands that pick up the brain waves, and then the signal is then sent to a computer, and then the computer basically is in charge of sending out information. Um, so we have accepted the fact that our brain waves are sending out information and have found a technological way of 
making it scientific. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the people could yeah, go like, on YouTube now and find videos of university students wearing those headbands, moving helicopters. Oh, like absolutely! Little tiny helicopters, mind you. Um, but... I don't remember exactly what it was called, uh, but about uh, I want to say about a decade ago. Don't quote me, but they came out with a Star Wars toy where you had this machine and there were ping pong balls and you put on the headset and you used the frequency of your brain to get the ping pong balls to float. And the first time my uncle had had bought it, he brought it over and we're all sitting down. It's like, Oh, can I try it? I put the headset on and the balls go. Like, I'm not trying to be show off. I'm sorry. You know, I take the headset off, but uh, it's finding a way for, God, how do I put this right? A way for science to catch up because those of us that have lived with it for all our lives are like, this is just an everyday occurrence. It doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be woo. It, when the supernatural becomes natural, it's no longer feared. And we're slowly progressing into that through science and through spirituality. Right. And, I, and I've also tried to get people to think about it in a different way. Again, more like a survival thing. So when people sense for instance that a ufo is outside and that they should go outside and look i remind them that maybe your body is picking up something that your body is kind of warning you and giving you a heads up and you're just not like attuned to that in a really obvious way just like we know sometimes when someone's staring at us because our brain has probably our brain has picked it up but our brain narrows everything down so much that we're not really picking it up in a way that is obvious our subconscious is telling us hey that person is looking at you i can see it out of the corner of my eye but you're not paying attention to it because you're looking at this book that we're supposed to be paying attention to so yeah it's just again it's like just kind of understanding perception in a different way which is funny because if people look at what esp means (laughs) it's extra sensory perception (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the other thing is we go through culturally changes, whether it be by by day, by decade, by generation. We tend to lose the interpretations of things, of you know, UFO, UFO, unidentified flying object uh frisbee is a ufo until you know what just hit you in the head um so it's it's that kind of helping people bridge the gaps between um science and spirituality between um psychic abilities and understanding and acceptance acceptance 
that I'm trying to work towards within all the communities. Yeah, well, I'm a big fan of some of the more Eastern approaches where people were celebrated for focusing on meditation and, um, you know, loving the planet and (laughs) trying to make themselves a higher being or... Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, I have come to, I've always felt such a strong, strong connection to Earth. Um, whether it's that love of just being outside, sitting in the grass, putting your hands on the ground, it, I feel the resonance around me from the Earth and from nature. And, so I'm drawn to cultures and practices that celebrate that, whether it be the pagan rituals of the ancient Druids or the Tibetan rituals of prayer. And I try to take what I've learned and share that with other people and let them let them sort their own deck of cards you know here here's an in piece of information without judgment this is what i know this is what i i have experienced and take your hand and say you know i'm here if i don't have an answer if i don't know an answer i will help you find it And I think that's why I've always loved being an art teacher. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's fun to point out to people who are somewhat closed minded about this, that if, if they just change terminology and something like a whole world will open up for you. So for instance, I was raised with a Catholic background. And when you Mm -hmm. were speaking earlier about, you know, I'm going to light a candle and have positive thoughts towards someone. I'm like, if people who were raised with a Catholic background, think about it. We lit candles and sat down and prayed for someone. There's almost no difference (laughs) between being in prayer and doing. Even burn incense about the same way. (laughs) Yes. And I like, and like, you know, quote unquote a spell like there's like people need to just right. drop the the judgment there because you know and, and i and i've definitely spoken before in this podcast about like you know there's obviously quite a lot of supernatural beings in the bible <laughs> uh yeah and that was the other thing i'm sure you've seen me mention it when i'm you know in chat rooms and whatnot that always got me uh in trouble in Sunday school uh, was pointing out all of the supernatural cryptid UFO tidbits as we're doing Bible study and going, um, I have a question. I have a question. <laughs> Can you, you know, isn't this, you know, a giant, a Bigfoot, a UFO? And they're like, go sit over there. <laughs> We'll talk to you later, which is unfortunate (laughs) that they weren't open to 
having that conversation. I think I was luckier. Just, it was just a complete, complete shutdown. Um, and yeah, my my best friend that it was also you know she was raised Catholic, and she's like at least where she was raised, they didn't just close the door when mm -hmm. those kind of questions popped up. They opened it up to okay, let's talk about this. Let's get different perspectives, and come to a deeper understanding. Yeah. So I, I did that on I, my own. Yeah, I think I was a little luckier. For instance, I had a very vivid dream that involved Jesus, which mm -hmm. I have like uh, interesting thoughts about. I don't, I don't see Jesus as a deity. I think he's more like um, a symbol or you know, a, like a figure that people pop into their head for a sense of calm and peace. Granted, he was a, probably a really good human being. He wanted to help the sick and the poor. Like, you can't fault mm -hmm. the man for that, right? But None whatsoever. <laughs> the, the person that had the longest conversation with me about what I experienced in that dream was a priest. He wanted to know mm -hmm. all about it, and he 100% believed it. And, and, of course, it was a real dream, so what, there's nothing not to believe, but... The, the point is mm -hmm. that he was the one who had the serious conversation with me. So I think yeah. if people uh, could could move away from the fear and be a little more open-minded right. about what it is they believe and what is it they're experiencing in life, um, we might get a little further. Absolutely. And to instead of Closing the door to other belief systems and saying, you know, this is the way I was raised. This is the way I was taught. This is the only way. Before taking the time to learn the other person's point of view, their religion, and how they were brought into it. I was lucky in that my mother gave me every opportunity whenever I asked to go visit other other churches, other religious practices, all within reason, of course, being a mom. But she wanted me to have that open-mindedness because through that, we also gain acceptance and realize that in a lot of ways, we're not all that different, like you just said with the candle. Right. And also, I really find it enjoyable to learn about other religions. I find it enjoyable to learn about other cultures. I find people fascinating. Um, a lot of the shows that I watch are just teaching me about others that are different from me mm -hmm. that's what i'm drawn to i like to learn about things i don't do and i like to learn about places i don't live and i want to learn mm -hmm. about cultures that i'm you know don't have as much exposure to in fact for, for just to let everyone know on the side when i'm not researching ufos i i'm trying to learn korean <laughs> so oh, that's cool. yeah 
and I and I I try to read it as I watch K dramas. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, It sounds like me though. You know, I'll be I'll have a book in front of me, and I'm uh, you know maybe looking at uh, archaeology magazine and oh, what's the latest archaeological finds or cultural finds? And meanwhile, in the background, I've got Discovery Channel playing and, you know, I'm watching about, uh, you know, ancient Scottish um, villages and temples. And there are more things out there that unite us than there are to divide us if we take the time to learn. And it's really, I'm just adoring the fact that people are willing to find new things right now. Like there was a time when archaeology was pretty um, stagnant and wasn't really willing to come up with new ideas. But now people are talking about there are cities under the sea. Let's go check them out. And they're really promoting that idea. They're coming up with, um, you know, Come new ideas about why certain things exist. Um, you know, they're discovering places that are so ancient <laughs> that, oh, that it's amazing yeah. that they're still standing. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Brian knows, my husband knows that anytime that there's, you know, like something on new archaeological finds or, you know, statues or buildings under the water. I'm glued to the TV for the duration of that program because I I just can't get enough. It just fascinates me. I want to see more about the little people in Indonesia and the other islands where they're finding them. I really feel like that's going to be important because we have centuries Mm -hmm. upon centuries of sightings of little beings. And I resemble that remark. (laughs) yeah i just i feel like you know there's so much ego and thinking that we're the only homo sapiens or only i should say hominids i should be clear on the planet and like obviously there's a lot of people saying otherwise and i don't know why it's so hard for people to accept like we definitely had multiple um hominids living alongside us for a long, long, long time. So why is it suddenly we're in this era where people are like, that can't be anymore? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, with recent DNA discoveries that, um, well, apparently we did have relations with um, some of the Neanderthal um, species, that there, there were some mixed marriages, if you will between species that how many other offshoots are we related to you know the Denisovans and and so on um the fact that there have been giants um documented in both his you know prehistory and modern time in various places around the world, um, people have encountered these things. And I went to a museum recently and stood next to the 
life-size figure of a man from the early 1900s who was over nine feet tall. Now, mind you, I'm barely five feet tall. So I came up to his zipper. You know, I, yeah. that would scare the bejesus out of anybody. There's still and tons of people who are tall now. Like, I, I actually had a coworker. How DNA yeah. is a part of our DNA, and we just haven't figured that part out yet. It's just Because it's, science is catching up. It's so weird to me <laughs> that people are closed-minded about it, though. Like, I had a coworker yeah. who, like, had to bend over to get through a door. Like, you know, it's just, I know my family, um, we are circus family, like it's a circus family, mm -hmm. I have circus blood, and they had some of the tallest people on the planet come into the circus, of course, because that was a big spectacle. Um, so like, it, I guess I've always just known that, of course, we've had a lot of people who had giganticism there's even dna right. related to that condition um for people who are familiar with the princess bride andre the giant <laughs> was one of them you know everyone one of my favorite movies yes. and, and andre was so cool i loved him in that movie right. my the great uncle when i you know growing up as a little girl in albuquerque he was I want to say six foot seven. All I know is he had to visibly duck no matter what doorway he walked through. And I'm looking at myself, you know, I'm five foot tall. My mom's five foot one. I'm just five foot three. Where did this giant person come from? And then my first cousin was born. And when he got into his preteens, he started sprouting. And now he's as tall as my great uncle mm -hmm. was. And it's that we're all connected in ways that we have yet to discover or even, even dream of. And I think we're in for some amazing times in the near future. Yeah, I think it was just a couple of weeks ago they just discovered another part of the brain. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and yeah, then, I, I'm yet to have caught it. And then uh, quantum computing is just around the corner. So it's clear to me that humans are starting to really grasp wave function as something that can be mm. changed and altered and going back and forth, um, which is scary too. Because I suspect that our non-human intelligence visitors already understand this science. And a lot yeah. of the things that they're doing has to do with that. And for humans to have that ability makes me a little nervous. Yeah. Um, and I think in part through my meditations and trying to learn better about using my own abilities that part of what the others I like to call them have been doing is helping us along now they don't see fear and emotion the way we do 
so they don't realize that some of the things that they're doing are just scaring the blarney out of somebody. Um, but they are trying to help us to a point of unlocking abilities that we've lost. They're there but have become dormant. Uh, and being able to be openly communicated with them without difficulty. So instead of having to meditate to make that connection to the star people, to the others, that the, the, the telepathic ability is there. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think <laughs> I, I have this thought that perhaps the hybrid concept, even though I battle with using that terminology because I think they're related to yeah. us. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> so I, yeah. I think that has to do with creating messengers of being able to speak with vocal cords. Um, um, and essentially they didn't, from what I understand, have vocal cords like ours. Um, and so they are trying to create people with vocal cords. That's just a thought. I don't know. For sure. Interpreters. But... A very good word for that would be interpreters. Someone who is human and can communicate on a human level what the others are trying to say, if you will. Um, so just like a counselor would help you try to understand your feelings, uh, a light worker or someone of that type would be able to help you communicate with those other beings, whether it be, you know, again, the others, you know, UFOs, uh, spirits, cryptids. I mean, we've got, was it uh, Robin McRae, for instance, who has a very good reputation for being able to communicate with Sasquatch. Mm -hmm. And I take everything with a grain of salt, and I give everybody their fair shake, if you will. And so when I heard about her and her abilities, like, okay, that's interesting. And everything that I found, she genuinely has that ability. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in my case, without realizing I was doing it, I communicate with animals. I wound up working as a shelter volunteer for 20 years because I had the natural ability to understand their thoughts and emotions. Um, they don't think like us, of course, but there are similarities. And so I was able to use that to help say the cat in the corner, no, that cat's not feral. That cat is terrified out of its mind because you keep putting on that glove that it associates with the person that threw them out of the vehicle. You know, it's, And I didn't realize I was doing it until 
Um, actually, until we all got locked down. I won't use the P or C words. Uh, but during the lockdown, I started to gravitate over towards Instagram and came across a gal who does animal communication and mm-hmm. started watching a couple of her videos. And it's like, well, that makes sense. You know, being able to, in my ability with the claircognizance, what I will get when I get information is like the flash of a photograph. So a recent practice um, session with my mentor, you know, close my eyes and, okay, I see a little girl and she's kneeling by a pond and she's, and I could describe everything she was wearing and the emotions I could, I could describe how it feels because I do have empathic ability and the there was a man there and the period and all the photographs that we were shown was a grassy field with a little pond and some corn behind it, some corn stalks behind it. And the lady who's my mentor said this was on an investigation and here's the historical information. And it was a little girl who drowned in the pond and her dad cried for days next to the pond and then later hung himself in the tree that's behind the pond mm-hmm. over in the cornfield. And I mean, you know, 1800s time period, but she was able to A, back up what she got during her initial investigation, but validate what I got when I looked at the photograph without outside influence. Right. And as someone coming in back in, how's the right way to put it? Back into the public view, um, because I closed myself off from my abilities and talking about it in public for a very long time, having that kind of validation I was in tears. It made me so happy. And again, that goes back to why I'm willing to speak out and try to help other people. You know, sometimes I experience a little bit of frustration with others who don't recognize. How do I put this? Like, say, you know, if I go into a room, I can usually tell how different people feel. People call that being empathic i think there's also just a level of awareness of other human beings um right from a psychology perspective i would also point out that just being really fully intelligent when it comes to you know body language and social situations and expressions as part of it um Mm -hmm. but i feel frustrated sometimes that other people aren't trying to pay attention to that they aren't trying to pick things up. They aren't trying to sense how people feel or, or read other people. And I don't know if you yeah. feel that way too, just frustrated that other people aren't tuning in. <laughs> well, and in our modern society, it's become too easy to close ourselves off to that, that when you walk in the room to pay attention to use discernment 
and our intuition to, oh, there, she's slumped over in the corner with her head down. And then you've got the, the other person that's, that's standing over there and he's talking to a group of people, but he's got his arms crossed and he's tapping his feet. And that there was an argument that just happened that this person over in this corner is hurt and upset. And the person that's got his arms crossed is in defensive posture and he's angry because of whatever just transpired. And even without seeing those people, someone who has heightened abilities will pick up on that. You know, it's like the, the hairs on your arm standing up when there's a temperature change in the room. Well, our hairs some, on some folks are just a little longer than others. And so they stand up a little sooner that, oh, there's something off here or there's more information here. Yeah, I, I, that gut instinct sensation people really need to pay attention to it i literally will consult with my gut instinct at times like i know that sounds strange but i literally use that <laughs> on purpose Absolutely. regularly yeah yeah same here you know and my mentor would call that checking in with your higher self checking in with that inner self that inner knowing um, mm -hmm. because like you said, it's that fight or flight response. It, that's what's kept the human race alive. Mm -hmm. And when we come to understand that, that this is part of that way of existing that we've just kind of brushed off, you know, oh, you know, I'm not going to pay it any mind, even though I realize that my husband has just walked into the room behind me but I haven't heard a sound hmm. or change or the light change. So it's opening ourselves back up to these senses that we've closed off in a way that is destigmatized. And you know what? It, like people, if they just look at nature... <laughs> They'll, they'll see that animals do things that are very similar to the things that people consider weird, right? Like, so for instance, um, dousing, which is using um, essentially two cross sticks to find things, has been um, done for some time. And people try to use dousing rods to find minerals or water. Water is the big one. If you look at animals, they're finding water that's hidden too. They have some instinct that helps them to do that. So the person with the dousing rod may not actually need the dousing rod, but they believe they need it, <laughs> you know? So, and then there's pigeons. They use the, you know, the earth, the poles and the, the magnetism on the planet to navigate, right? Absolutely. But humans, I've, I myself will use that instinct that I'm lost and it helps me to figure out the right path and I'm not a pigeon and I don't know how it works but I just know when I'm lost I know when I'm going the wrong way and if you right. 
think about it in terms animals are already figuring this out. <laughs> like we need to pay attention to what they're doing sometimes. And we probably used to. That's the worst part. We probably used to do all these things. We used to understand mm -hmm. all these things. And we have moved away because we want to look at screens and, and computers and TVs. And uh, I don't yeah. know. It's frustrating. Well, and then we, we live in a culture where, and I'm not saying this is everyone, but overall, when a five-year-old child says, I see... Um, Jimmy over in the corner and he wants me to go play with him. Is it okay if I go play? Oh yeah, go play with your imaginary friend. That's fine. And then a year later when they, you know, they're six years old, they're getting into school and we're like, okay, you can't have an imaginary friend anymore. That has to go away. We teach our children to shut these natural abilities off and ignore them and in some cases, fear them instead of trying to get the deeper understanding of what's going on. And thankfully, there are more and more people like you, like myself, uh, within the scientific community, spiritual community, paranormal community, that are trying to open this up to a comfortable conversation among friends again, to so, a comfortable understanding again. One thing I would love to figure out is the role of imagination in general, right? Because when you think about it, everything in our brain is supposed to consist of what we've experienced in life. It's supposed to consist of what we've been taught. But when you talk to a child, their imagination is not including things that are just in a textbook or written or drawn or in front of them or right. anything that we could even necessarily come up with ourselves. They might come up with something that has nothing to do with anything you've ever heard before. And I work with children mm -hmm. quite a bit, so I've seen it <laughs> more than on more than one occasion. And it's, you know, where is that coming from? Where is where yeah. are the new things coming from? Right. And, and, you know, things that, that children will speak of that you have no way of explaining how they know what they know. Um, it brings to mind for myself, you know, my, for, this one I don't have a memory of, though I do have a lot of um, very early childhood memories, that when I was about three years old, that I woke up screaming that my bed was full of snakes. I'd never apparently seen a snake, whether in a book or on TV. Now, mind you, you know, this is, you're talking hmm, early 70s. So, you know, we didn't have a TV uh, when I was growing up with my mom. If, I, if there was a TV, it was over at my grandparents' house. And it was very strictly, you know, you can watch these programs and that's it. Um, how do you explain a three-year-old child who's never seen a snake before waking up and screaming that their her bed is full of snakes? Yeah, it's actually, like that that it, it's quite fascinating. I actually uh, used to think there were gnomes under my bed. 
And they were not big gnomes. They were not four feet tall, if anyone's wondering. They were pretty small. Um, probably mm-hmm. about, I don't know, half a foot at the tallest, right? Uh, six inches. Um, so yeah. I don't know what that's about. Like, why did I think there were six inch people under my bed? You know, if you were in old, older Celtic culture, um, even some places today, they might say those were fairies. Those were, uh, what are they called? Brownies. Um, you know, the borrowers, the, the fae, the Danish she, um, that we in modern society have relegated to the land of, um, fairy tales in Disneyland that they're made up. They don't exist, but these older cultures, this was a part of their daily life and acceptance that these did exist. And who's to say that you weren't being visited by the fairy folk when you were, because you were, you were special or they happened to live in that part of the world. Yep. And it's worth saying that um, indigenous cultures in North America also talk about beings that live in the woods or in caves you know who are uh, hanging around with bigfoot like they're it's all over the place it's all over the world like all of these things are just intrinsically part of whatever's going on with us absolutely And, and you know that circles back around to you know we have more similarities than we realize if we take the time to learn about all these other cultures and belief systems and modalities right. that, you know, when it comes right down to it, we're, we're all one big crazy mixing pot and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. So I'm Not just going to ask you one, uh, well, I'll ask you two final questions. The first one is, um, have in all of your experiences you've gotten any clear messaging from non-human intelligence that you would want to share? So as far as non-human intelligence, the only messages I've ever received have been directly for a specific person or people. Um, or myself and, you know, like for my grandmother, for instance, every once in a while, she will come through to me in ways that only I would recognize uh, with a specific sensation of she, when I would feel sick or was stressed out, would sit there and do this on my scalp and stroke my head. And I could feel the motion front to back. And when she's wanting to come through I will literally feel that sensation of my scalp being stroked and that's usually when I'll go okay Nana you know what are you trying to communicate to me what are you trying to tell me what I would say rather than a message from them is a message to the listeners that 
don't be afraid to listen. And don't listen in fear. You might just find that miracle you've been looking for. That hope you've been looking for. You know what I found out recently that I feel like I needed to share? Was I was reading, um, Huff, I think it's Huffman's book about reality, um, about what we understand about reality. And he talked about individuals who have had the two lobes of their brains disconnected, essentially. Um, and the reason for that was that, you know, they had epilepsy and they wanted to decrease the seizures. So what was really interesting is apparently the left sided of the brain and the right side of the brain have different beliefs <laughs> and different personalities, which is super freaky to think about because we've assumed all this time that we're just, you know, one being, but actually we're mm -hmm. a left brain and a right brain that merges together to make us. And they also talk in some papers I've read from neuropsychiatrists that brain damage really makes someone lose their sense of identity. So when, okay. yeah, so when they've damaged one of those hemispheres, they lose a piece of that whole. So to realize that we're not even what we think we are at a very basic level. And we, if we are listening to ourselves, we're actually listening to two parts, not just one. It really kind of opens <laughs> opens the door to like listening. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, absolutely. So I know. And it, it actually makes you feel a little less crazy because even in our own minds, we probably argue with ourselves. And then you, if you find out that there's a left brain, right brain argument going on, uh, that you are probably not fully aware of going like it makes you feel less crazy. Mm -hmm. So we yeah. should listen. Oh, 100%. 100%. So if, we, if we don't even know that we have more to listen to within ourselves, oh, I really hope we learn. I hope we learn to listen. So I thank you for that message. I hope people will start being more open minded, left and right brain open minded. I just had to say it. <laughs> so, and then they'll, it. yeah, and then they'll um, learn to appreciate that there's stuff that we need to start paying attention to again. And I appreciate you coming to talk to me about the, um, your experiences and your knowledge today. Um, this is, of course, you know, a place for people to learn um, and just to express things. So, thank you again. And my final question for you is, where can people find you? So, most people will see me on YouTube in the chat rooms under Paranormal Pixie, Lara. But you can find me by going over to Instagram under Lara Sandling Bennett. Or on Facebook, and also under Lara Sandling Bennett. And feel free to reach out to me through um, DM on either of those platforms. Uh, if I haven't met you, please, when you message me, let me know who you are. Um, because we also know that in chat rooms, we use our screen names. And I am more than happy to have an open 
discussion and help people discover what is possible. Well, thank you again. This was Deb from Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. If anyone needs to find me, I'm at Study of UAPs on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, so on and so forth. Yes, sometimes on Instagram. I use it more for Laura than for almost anyone, (laughs) just so I could get her to come talk to me. Um, And then I also am with the UFOConnector.com on YouTube with Calling All Beings and part of the UAP Medical Coalition. For everyone listening, thank you so much and take care.